Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapter 10 in our source text, Prisoners of Despair. But first, a moment of prayer. All-powerful Father, glory and honor to you. Humbled are we to be in your presence, and grateful are we, Father, for the Spirit's guidance as we follow your word through the mastery of your faithful servant, Pastor John Bunyan. May the Spirit open our ears to your truth, Father and give us the courage and boldness to share it with others. Amen. Now recall that we last left our pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, as they were on the banks of what King David called the River of God. And in the final chapter of Revelation, in 22, 1-2, it is what John called the River of the Water of Life, flowing from the throne of God. And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It was from this river and the banks thereof that our pilgrims, Christian and hopeful, gained much needed strength both physical and spiritual. Now, an overview of today's text. This chapter vividly illustrates the ease by which we are tempted to sin and the painful difficulty of repenting and returning to the way. To bring these concepts to life, Bunyan will focus on five elements. First, the transgression at Bypath Meadow. Two, the destruction that follows pride. Three, the brotherly love that demonstrates repentance and forgiveness. And four, the sheer hopelessness of despair and the all-powerful eternal promises of God as number five. The great truth in this chapter, loved ones, is that like stories too often told, God's warnings and our obligations may lose their power by the mere fact of our ever-increasing familiarity with them. And is this not reinforced when we learn of our pilgrims that while under terribly adverse circumstances, they fell asleep? Surely, when we are able to see the end from the beginning, should we not be saying to ourselves of life's bypath meadows, Turn away, turn away quickly, and return to the Lord's highway. Amen. Now, no sooner had our pilgrims left the refreshment 
on the banks of God's river. Then they bemoaned the rocky path that lay beneath their feet. At first, even though they are now discouraged, they seem determined to stay on the narrow way. But such a determination is short-lived, for soon they are overtaken by discontent and wish for an easier, more pleasant way. They have so easily forgotten that the Lord never promised them or us a pleasant way. In fact, he goes out of his way to tell us that it won't be pleasant. Indeed, his word assures us that if you want pleasant, you cannot follow him. Luke 9.23, And he said unto all, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Note here that Christian has been victorious in many trials and avoided many traps like Vanity Fair, by ends, the quick, rich, and troublesome schemes from Demas and other fakers and gospel cheats. So what's happened? Well, he's become overly confident and proud and soon careless and inattentive of his steps. Indeed, he will soon forget Goodwill's words about the way, that it is as straight as straight can be. He's now willing to accept a meander here, a turn there, as long as it appears to follow in the same direction. Well, as our pilgrims soon discover, it does appear that way for a while. And then, and quite suddenly, it seems it's too late. How about you, loved ones? Is your walk still straight as straight can be? Or are you meandering or turning even ever so slightly off the way? From Proverbs 4.25.27 Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now our pilgrims come to and cross over the stile, which is an arrangement of steps that allows people, but not animals, to climb over a fence or a wall. And thus, in that one singular moment, they leave the way. They leave the highway of the Lord, forgetting that the only way is Christ, thinking they know better that somehow they can add to their own righteousness by doing it their way. Oh, how they've been deceived. Oh, Father, we hear your words. Thus saith the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah 6.16 Even though the Lord's way is difficult, indeed terribly so, it remains perfect in him who made it. We may not always see his purposes, but we can stand firmly on his promises. He is the rock his work is perfect, Deuteronomy 32.4. As our two pilgrims cross over the stile, they find themselves once again in a soft green meadow. 
easy on their feet and on their eyes. It seems calm and sure, resulting in some boasting on Christian's part. But it's all a momentary delusion, for this meadow is in Satan's domain. Now hopeful, sensing that all is not right, is reluctant. But in the end, he is persuaded by Christian and follows him over the stile. When they reach the other side, they see a man up ahead named Vain Confidence walking in the same direction. So they call after him and asked where he was going. He yells back, to the celestial gate. Christian now quite confident of his decision to leave the way for an easier path becomes boastful, telling hopeful, see, didn't I tell you? It should be noted here that vain confidence is one who has an excessively high opinion of his understanding of the truth. You can almost hear the glee in his voice, proclaiming that he's on the easy way to the city, coming in for a smooth landing right at heaven's front door. Proverbs 3.56 Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all the ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In reality, he is a self-righteous fool, destined for destruction. Nevertheless, his assertive and boastful stance leads our pilgrims into a sense of confidence, empty though it may be. And from Proverbs 16.5, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Christian has all but forgotten the lessons from Mr. Worldly Wiseman, talkative and by ends, not to mention the instruction from goodwill at the gate, the lessons from the interpreter, and the spiritual guidance from the maidens at the house beautiful. Then, almost by surprise, the night came, darkness fell, and they lost sight of vain confidence, who, as it turns out, could not see the way ahead, fell into a deep pit put there by the prince of darkness to catch fools such as he, and was mortally wounded. Vain confidence was overcome by the darkness, having no means of his own to guide himself in such surroundings. The darkness of this world cannot be overcome without Christ, leaving all who enter it under such circumstances at the mercy of evil, and evil, loved ones, has no mercy to offer. So, as vain confidence lies moaning at the bottom of the pit, never to be seen again, Christian, now realizing the error of his ways, begins to despair. Adding to his guilt, Hopeful asks, now what should we do? But no answer would be forthcoming from Christian as he had turned inward with remorse over his foolish and dangerous behavior. Without warning now, a violent storm emerges, bringing lightning and rising water. Oh, that I had kept on the true way, Hopeful says. Christian, beside himself now with grief, apologizes to his brother, Hopeful, who is both gracious and forgiving. Christian is eager to lead them back to the stile and back over to the way, 
But Hopeful says no, because he knows the frame of mind his brother is in. So as this dispute continues, they hear a voice calling out to them to return from whence they came at once, since the darkness is about to engulf them. This voice is presumed to be that of evangelist watching from afar. But the tide is rising so fast they're about to be engulfed in it. In fact, they nearly drown. Indeed, even with great effort, they are unable to surmount the obstacles before them and are forced to take shelter until morning. Like the pilgrims in this story, many become captives to despair, being led there by vain confidence, by submitting to the rule of carnality, and by pandering to self-righteousness instead of seizing God's grace with all their might. Have you ever veered off the narrow path, loved ones? It is indeed far more difficult to return than it is to wander. So I pray you keep the faith, stay the course, and open not your eyes to evil. From Acts 27, 25. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. Amen. We see now that Christians' remorse grew as difficulties mounted in their effort to return to the Lord's highway. Soon he was in his own swamp of despond and unable to extricate himself. But, and much to his credit, Christian owns up to his own sin and his foolish choices, choices that led to their current unsettling and most dangerous dilemma. In his sorrow, he realizes he has sinned against his God. Seeking the forgiveness of his brother, he confesses his sin to Hopeful and is immediately and graciously forgiven. Hopeful lifts his spirits by telling him, this shall be for our good. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. James 4, 10. Christians' actions here show true repentance, the kind that leads to salvation. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Amen. Christian also realizes that he failed at his leadership role as the older and more experienced Christian. It is clear to him that to faithfully execute Christian leadership isn't just about what you think or what you'd like or what you are feeling, but rather it's about bringing others alongside God's word. Amen. On the other hand, Hopeful's experience here shows the need for timely forgiveness as it is written in Luke 17, 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, as mentioned earlier, our pilgrims, not being able to surmount the rising waters, sought shelter to rest through the night. But little did they know that the land upon which they slept belonged to the brutal giant despair. And as they wake, 
who do they see but that very giant himself looming over them. Everything about him speaks gloom and despondency and death. George Cheever writes, Despair will never die so long as unpardoned sin remains, or a sense of it burdens the conscience. Nor is there any security against falling into its hands, but in the care and mercy of one who is mightier than it, Jesus Christ. Moreover, at this moment, our pilgrims, being out of the way, continue to ignore the path of grace and, at least for now, do not yet recognize the extent of the danger that lies ahead. Listen, loved ones, access to God is through what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, and only that. If you're out of the way, if you didn't come through the small gate, if you're not walking on the narrow path, then you are lost. Have you wondered yet if this is the same pilgrim the one while suited in the full armor of God was victorious over Apollyon? I mean, could this be the same man? Well, when you wander off the way, you become weak and powerless. Our strength, our power, our ability to fight our enemies is imputed to us by Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So our pilgrims, now impotent, are easily dragged off by giant despair to the Doubting Castle dungeon, where they will be in captivity from that Wednesday to Saturday evening and into the early hours of Sunday. Well, there's more to the giant despair than meets the eye, isn't there, loved ones? And the more in this case is his wife, distrust, also known as diffidence, meaning distrust or lack of faith. She is a wretched woman, filled with hate for all passing pilgrims. She represents the attitude that coming to Christ is pointless, that in the end it can only produce despair and disappointment. She is the great enabler, the very core of giant despair's effectiveness. She is the one who creates the suffocating atmosphere of distrust, unbelief, and utter hopelessness before God. She is the one who lays out the punishment to be delivered to her husband's captives. And his role is to apply this punishment in the most cruel, barbaric, and effective manner possible. But as portrayed, the giant despair is unable to completely destroy his prey. Instead, he is able only to bear weight upon the need for their self-destruction. And in the end, they must destroy themselves. Giant despair has another weakness as well. He is rather easily disabled by the light, rendering him completely unable to move his limbs. He lives for the darkness. Now on Thursday, distrust recommends to her husband a beating of such severity that our pilgrim's despair reaches a depth at which they believe God's mercy is no longer within reach. And on Friday, she recommends to her husband that he convinces them to commit suicide. To spawn such an evil motivation, she tells him to show the prisoners the skulls of the many who have taken such a damning route. Bunyan's point here is this. 
Even though he believes suicide to be a damning sin, these pilgrims face a very real temptation. Very real. Current statistics are shockingly clear about the truth of this ever-escalating problem. Listen, suicide does not discriminate between those of this world and those who are seeking that which is to come. So, having been starved of both food and water since their capture, and having been beaten just short of death, our pilgrims are shown the countless skulls of those who opted to take their own lives. And as despair points out to them, they will mercifully be able to choose the method and instrument of their own self-demise. So our pilgrims, the current captives in the dungeon of Doubting Castle, discuss amongst themselves whether, given their dire circumstances, whether they should take the advice or not. Christian and Hopeful now lie imprisoned in that dungeon, where death and destruction might very well overtake them, as has already happened to countless others. Why? Because Christian stopped looking to Christ. He left the way and stopped trusting in him and in his provision. Oh, foolish man. Christian had a better way, an easier way, or so he thought. And because he so thought, he strayed, and thus, because of his influence, caused Hopeful to stray as well. Christian's leadership crumbled under the weight of despair and distrust, which was personified by the giant's wife. And finally, he plummeted into unbelief. He now finds himself a slave to despair, with no mercy to be had. He is both hapless cursed and doomed and helpless, utterly defenseless. Indeed, it has come down to this, actually thinking about suicide. Take note, loved ones, that the transgression that begat all of this happened only days before. Oh, how quickly the ship runs aground without the Lord at the helm. Our pilgrims are facing formidable odds, and they're getting worse with each passing moment. If there's a shining light here, it is hopeful, for it will be left to him to turn his brother from the error of his ways. From James 5, 19, 20. Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, as Saturday is coming to a close, we find giant despair and great distress over the fact that these pilgrims still live, having not accepted his offer to take their own lives. The giant despair has, it seems, maxed out his own abilities, an assessment his wife distrust agrees with. Their fear is that their two captives live in hope that someone will come to rescue them, or perhaps they have picklocks hidden by which they hope to escape. Most fortunately for our pilgrims, the giant puts off his search until the following morning. Then, around midnight, Christian and Hopeful began to pray and continued until almost daybreak. 
And just before the sun came up, Christian breaks into a passionate speech. What a fool I am to lie in a stinking dungeon when I might instead walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that I believe will open any lock in Doubting Castle. At this, Hopeful says, that is good news, good brother. Take it out and let's try it. The key represents the very promises of God, all but forgotten because of their transgression. But now, after prayer, the fire in their hearts is rekindled. I'll read from the text. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock on the dungeon door. And as he turned the key, the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease and so that Christian and Hopeful immediately came out. Then he went to the outer door that leads into the castle yard and with his key, this door also opened. And after that, he went to the outer iron gate for that needed to be unlocked as well. Now this lock was damnably hard, that is devilishly tight, yet the key did eventually open it. So they thrust open the gate and made their escape with great speed. But as it opened, that particular gate made such a creaking sound that it awakened giant despair, who, hurriedly arising to pursue his prisoners, suddenly felt a paralysis come over his limbs for his seizures came on him once again, so that it was impossible for him to chase after his escapees. Then Christian and Hopeful went on till they came to the king's highway once again, and here they were safe because they were out of the giant's jurisdiction. Hallelujah and amen. Now no longer at the mercy of giant despair or his wife distrust, our two pilgrims run at full speed, fueled by the adrenaline born of a repentant heart, directly towards the king's highway. And as they approach the way, the roughness beneath their feet, once a deterrent, is now ever so comfortable. And now a couple of notes. Notice here Bunyan's choice of words when describing that last lock, the one on the iron gate, the one he wrote about, that was damnably hard to open. This is intended to show the profound danger of Doubting Castle. For when doubt and despair overtake us, it is an almost insurmountable obstacle to believe that God would want us, that we are good enough, that the promise of the gospel is for us. But it is. So have faith and keep turning the key. And why did the sudden and crippling paralysis come upon giant despair? Because as he stumbles through the outer iron gate, he is seized by the full frontal assault of daylight. John 1.5 And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Praise the Lord. Now back on the king's highway, the narrow way, safely out of the reach of giant despair, our two pilgrims erect a monument warning others of the consequences of leaving the way. Listen, loved ones, this warning represents our need to bear one another's burdens as others will find in them the encouragement they need to continue along the rough ground. Galatians 6, 1-2 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And at this, our two pilgrims continue on their way, the Lord's way. Pray with me. We come before you, Father God, humbled by your very name, your faithfulness, your love, your grace, and your wrath. Yes, Father, even your wrath, the promise of which sets our feet squarely on the highway of our King. And let us never forget the key, Father, your immutable promises upon which we may securely and safely stand. And may the Spirit guide us daily in our search for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our next episode, loved ones, we'll discuss chapter 11, Shepherds, Warnings, Dangers Avoided. So until then, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 